We are starting a new series called The Upper Room Discourse. It's in John chapter 14. We're going to start today. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, turn to John chapter 14. If you do not have a Bible and you would like one, there are some on the table outside. Take that Bible. That is our gift to you. But John chapter 14, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Hear these words from the book that we love. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning. What's up, bro? So uh, has anyone else felt like this was a weird year? That just said, right, right? I think I can speak for all of us, for everyone here, and, and, and make a generalization that the last 14 months have been some of the strangest, most unpredictable, and certainly challenging that many of us have faced, at least in a long time. And some of us have lost jobs. Others of us lost loved ones. Some of us have changed homes. Some of us have changed. The last year has impacted all of us in ways. Still. But uh, microphones have stopped working. <laughs> I'm going to do the face shield thing. Test one, two, three. All right, I'm going to roll with it. All right, my feet are locked in place. That's going to be hard. Right, but so this has been a weird year. And we have face shields on our mic stands and all these things. There's been so many things that have happened. And so one thing that's now universal for all people around the globe is that all of our lives have been impacted uh, in some way because of a global pandemic. And, and so as I was preparing this morning, I thought I could stand up here this morning and I could make some kind of uh, a creative connection and say something like this isn't the first global pandemic that's radically altered the lives of people universally. I could do that and I could stand up here today and I could tell you that the first global pandemic that transformed the world was sin and, and I, could, I could create some kind of way in which I could communicate that Jesus is the cure. I could do that, um, but I'm not going to because one, I think that's low-hanging fruit and two, because I think it drastically undermines the significance of what sin is and how drastically and devastatingly more destructive sin is to this world than the pandemic ever can be. And so instead, what I want to do this morning is introduce us to our next sermon series in which we'll be spending some time with Jesus as he eats his last meal with the people closest to him, knowing full well that it would be his last and that tomorrow He'd be dead. 
And so what I want to do with my time this morning is get us into the mindset of that night and, and to set the mood so that we can properly understand what Jesus was trying to say to the people he loved the night before sin radically altered his life. But it's also the night before Jesus dynamically and universally changed the world. And then, after we're prepared to understand what's going on in that room that night, then I want to help us understand the significance of what Jesus was trying to say there. And so at that point, I think his word can relate to the year we've had. It certainly can, but the implications are so far beyond our immediate circumstances. And, and what Jesus said to them that night was so important that he spent his last hours trying to get the people that he loved most to understand it. And so if I can get us to hear those words this morning, I think that they'll change the way we live now, but also where we live forever. And, and so with that, we're going to jump into our Bibles. And before we get into chapter 14, verse 1 through 14, um, what I want to do is give you the background to these texts. And so most of what I'm about to say you could find in Luke chapter 22 or John chapter 13. They're both talking about the same night. And so here's our scene. Let's set the scene. It's the week of Passover, which for those who don't know, that's a Jewish holiday in which uh, the week surrounding is all put together to remind us of the time that God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. And part of that rescue plan involved a sacrifice of a lamb as a substitute for the people so that when the angel of death came over the land, that lamb's blood would be accepted instead of their own. And so what happened was God warned that his wrath was coming, but he also offered a substitution to take their place. And so for all the families who feared God's wrath, but who also trusted in his provision, that judgment just passed over them. And listen, that's really good news. And so that's what they're celebrating that week at that meal. That's what should be on their minds. But like any family, many of our families, when we sit around a table we often aren't thinking about what that meal represents and what we're celebrating. And, and so this is the disciples. They're distracted. And so what we see is that none of them stop to do something simple like wash one another's feet, which was something normal for the time when you walk around all day in sandals and you come inside. It was normal for someone to wash the feet of the guests so that they were clean. But instead, the, the disciples this night are distracted and they're concerned with themselves and they're not thinking about one another. They're not thinking about what they're supposed to be doing or celebrating either. And meanwhile, Jesus was consumed with an understanding of this meal and Passover. Meanwhile, Jesus is like beginning to, to recognize the full gravity of his situation and it was beginning to weigh him down. And He knew that this was his last meal. And he knew that tomorrow he was going to die. And he knew that one of these people in this room whom he loved more than any other was about to betray him. And another whom he loved so much was going to deny him. And, and yet Jesus in chapter 13, despite being troubled in his spirit, verse 21, gets down on his hands and knees and he washes the feet of the disciples. Like despite his understandable distress, which none of them notice, by the way, he gets down on the ground and do to do for them what they are unwilling to do for each other. And so that's the scene in which he tells them to love one another the way that he's loved them. And so he tells them, remember that golden rule? 
to love others as you love yourself. He says, now I'm changing the rule to say, love others more than you love yourself and the way that I've loved you. And so by this point in the conversation, the disciples are noticing that something's up. And they start asking Jesus questions, and he's honest with them, but they're still so caught up in themselves and their own worries that they can't hear a thing that Jesus is trying to say. And so he tells them, I'm troubled because I love you all, but in the next 12 hours, you're going to betray me, you're going to deny me, and you're all going to scatter. And tomorrow I'll be gone. And he tells them that he's been so eager to eat this meal with him before he suffers. And he reveals to them that that whole Passover that we just talked about, this whole meal, was really a sign that pointed to him and what he was about to do. And so he's telling them that he's the ultimate Passover lamb and, 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 and they aren't getting what it means. And he's trying to tell them that what's going to happen tomorrow is going to be that he will be the sacrifice to take their place in the place of all others who would believe in him. If they would believe in him, they won't face that wrath they deserve, but instead they'll find a new life freed from slavery, not from Egypt, but from their sin. And this is good news. But they're so wrapped up in themselves and their situations that they aren't hearing him. And so this is the scene, and this is the move. So Jesus is burdened with the reality of the task set before him and its time close at hand. Yet those closest to him spent the night concerned with themselves and now they're confused and they're beginning to feel their own distress and they're being told that their leader, he's leaving them and that he's going somewhere else and where he's going they can't follow and now they're upset. And because they're so caught up in themselves, they aren't getting that what Jesus is trying to say is really good news. And so this is where chapter 14 picks up in verse 1. And so Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me, or if you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. So Jesus, despite his own distress, tells his disciples not to worry. Because what he's saying is really good news. And he says, listen, if you trust the Father, trust me. I've told you that the kingdom of God is at hand. And listen, there's a place for you there. And it's what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. So yes, tomorrow I'll be gone, but I'm leaving to make the way avail available for you to be with me and the Father forever. And, and I'll come back and I'll take you with me. So if you trust me, if you truly know me, then you already know where I'm going in the way there. So Jesus is telling them in this moment that they know the promise of the Father, like capital T, the promise, Genesis 17, 4 through 8. I'll just summarize it, but it's this. This is the promise that God will be our God and we will be his people in the land of promise forever. This is the covenant promise, and Jesus is about to pave the way, and when he returns, he'll lead us down that path and to its end. We just spent a whole sermon series talking about what was at the end of that road. And again, the disciples, they just aren't getting it. And so Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
So Jesus says to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And so from now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. But Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus, we actually have no idea where you're going. You've talked in parables all week, and you've been saying things like, I'm the bread of life, or I'm the light of the world, or I'm a door. And the other day you claimed that you were the resurrection and the life. And, and then you told us that you're the good shepherd. And now you're saying you're the way, the truth, and the life. And, bro, we have no clue what you're trying to get at. But it should have been so clear to them. Jesus said he's the bread of life because just like bread sustains the physical body, Jesus sustains everything. And he says that, that he, he's the light of the world because in dark places he brings clarity and he brings hope and he reveals what's hidden and shows us the way and Jesus serves as a door or a gate because he's unlocked to all those who belong inside but he's closed off to those who aren't and he protects those inside from the things outside and he's the resurrection and the life because he's the final say on what's dead and what's alive. And he's a good shepherd because he's committed to those who've been given under him. And he's the way, the truth, and the life because he's the one who's the source of all knowledge and all truth and all life. And he's the one that makes it possible for us to see and experience not the wrath of God, but to live in the love and grace of God. And so Jesus tells him, if you understood what I've been telling you this whole time when I told you who I am, you would know God. And he tells them that if they truly see him, then they would have seen God. Yet Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. So I was reading this week, it's amazing how dense we can be sometimes. That Jesus is just laying down some really strong hints to who he is and what he's about to do and what that means for those who trust him. While simultaneously, these people that have been with him for years are distracted by their own interests in themselves. And, and some of them are getting prepared to betray him or deny him. And others are concerned about how great they think they are or how great others may see them. They're arguing about it that night in that room. None of them are willing to care for one another, let alone actually hear the crazy important things that Jesus is trying to tell them on his last night at his last meal. And so I think it's easy for us to read this and say to ourselves, man, how blind could they be? How are they not seeing or hearing everything that's standing in front of them? But for those of us in the room who know him, we have to understand how often and how more often we're guilty of the same. See, for those of us who do trust the Father and do know the Son, he's given us the spirit of the living God who now speaks and lives inside us. But how often do we listen? How often are we instead caught up with how great we think we are or concerned with how others may see us? How often are we distracted by our own needs or our own desires that we don't stop to serve those around us with needs far greater or more significant? 
How often is God speaking to us and dropping really clear hints and pictures to who he is and what he's doing in and around us, but we just completely miss it? How many of us have been just living with our own anxieties, with hearts filled with trouble, yet Jesus is right there calling out and inviting us to release those fears and worries to him because he's made a way? And so for everyone listening this morning here or at home, hear this. Jesus is inviting you to release all of your worry and all of your anxiety to him because he's become for us a substitute sacrifice to take the judgment for any of our mistakes and any of our shame for our mess-ups, the wrath for anything that we may have done or will do or could ever do that might have separated us from God. We have an eternal life with him in the future. He's made a way to be the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And if there's anything we have to worry over, it's not found in this life or where we spend it, but where we spend our eternity. And so if our eternity is secure in God, then what in the world is there for us to be stressed about in comparison? And so what Jesus is offering his disciples when he says, don't be troubled, is really good news because he's made the way for that to be possible. But in order for this to be really good news, we really have to listen. And you have to be able to see past your own world long enough to realize that you're not at the center of it. And you have to look up long enough to see the world that's around you. And and then you can realize that you're not alone And that our everyday stresses, though real, don't compare at all in significance to the worry of where we'll spend that eternity. And so the good news is that for those who would hear and see Jesus and would trust him, he has secured that eternity for us. And he's paid for any of our debts and he's made a way so that any who trust in him know that they'll be with him and the Father in that land of promise forever. And so listen, when you know that that eternal future is secure and that it's all taken care of, I think it helps us in the everyday worries and they become far more easy to handle when you know that God has your eternity under control and that he loves you and that you're his and that he's a good shepherd, then you know he's also in control of that day to day. And he's with you and he's for you even when things are tough. And so now there might be times when we want things handled differently and he handles them differently than we'd like. In fact, he tells us that life isn't going to be easy for his people and and he tells us the opposite, really. But in that, he also promises that he's with us through it all. And he reminds us that that future is far more important. And I trust him with all the good that he has to offer And all the bad that's in the world, I'll trust him with it because of what he says next in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So in some, 
Jesus reminds us of everything that he's been teaching and doing, that we should trust him not just because of what he says, but because he's been able to back it up, any and every claim that he's made. And, and so, I mean, this is not just some guy who claimed to be God. This is a guy who, who, who they have seen heal the lame and tell them to walk and cast out demons and give blind men sight and heal the sick and multiply bread and fish and turn water into wine and resurrect people from the dead, calm the storm and walk on water. This is the guy making some extreme claims. But he's also the guy doing some pretty extreme works. And the upcoming weekend, he's about to pull off his greatest feat yet. Like, this is why I believe him when he says whatever we're distressed about, he's got it. This is why I'll listen when he says, let not our hearts be troubled. Because what he says is not just good news. It's a really good reality that Jesus makes good on his promises. So this morning, if there are any here who are listening uh, from home or in the room who are hearing Jesus' invitation to trust him and let go of their anxieties and fears, man, I'm encouraging you to do that. He's made a way. Trust him. Hear him. See him. Get out of your own way and look past your horizons to see that he has the same burdens for you. Like the things that stress you out, stress him out, but he's taking care of them. And he cares for you so much that he's willing to become the way for our, uh, from un, like out of death and all the things that weigh us down and more. Like he's made the way. And if he's enough to take care of that eternity, he's certainly enough to take care of today and tomorrow and whatever it has for us. And so in my time today, I can't possibly do justice to the complexities to completely explain how much he's already done for us but I can encourage you to seek that out and search because something else Jesus has promised that is if we seek, we'll find. And, and so if you desire to know him, you will. And listen, Jesus makes good on his promises and that's really good news. So if you don't know him, search him out, you'll find him. So again, if you don't know Jesus yet, I invite you, seek him out. Because he didn't just come to be the sacrificial lamb the day after this Passover meal. He became the conqueror of sin and death through his resurrection, which we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And Jesus is not just the God of the dead, but of the living. Our faith is not in some man who came to die, but in a God who conquered death. And this is really good news. And so for the rest of us, for those of us who believe in him and we've heard this good news and we've received it and we've seen him, what he says next is for us. And so he says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus is speaking to his followers, saying that if you trust him, and if you truly believe in him, then you will continue the work that he's begun. And Jesus has taken care of the big things, and now there's just nothing that can separate us from the love of God, and knowing that there should be no concerns that prevent us or distract us from doing the things that he's left us here to do. 
And, and so now, church, just like Jesus fed those who were hungry and cared for those who were sick and listened to those who were lonely, we as a church should be fulfilling the needs around us. And if we see someone who's hungry, we're to feed them. And if we see someone who's sick, we should come around them and anoint them and pray for them. And, and by the grace of God, healing should happen. And we should be speaking the word of God to those around us so they may hear and believe so their hearts too can be no longer troubled but instead can be encouraged by the fact that Christ has secured their eternities if they believe in him. I think too often we go too long being distracted by trying to make ourselves greater or to come off a certain way to the people around us. And we're so worried about our day to day that we spent far too little time seeking to hear the Lord and when he's speaking to us, that we miss it. And far too little time doing the things that he's called us to do. And, and so we have to repent of that and we have to turn our eyes to the one who made us more than conquerors and who paved the way and called us to walk it with him. And so this morning, I'm not trying to make light of any of the many difficulties and challenges that this broken world has to offer. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I am trying to put them in their proper place and perspective. That if you know God, then you know he's for, for you. And if he's for you, who can be against you? And we know this world can be brutal. Jesus told us it was going to be brutal. It was really brutal to him. But we also got to see that he overcame the world. And he overcame the worst things this world can offer us, which is death. And so he didn't abandon us now. He gave us the spirit as a helper until he returns so that we can continue those works he's left for us. And we won't be abandoned to the grave. He promised that too. And we can see by his works that his promises come true. And this is really good news. And, and so I know I've talked a lot this morning. I hope it all has made sense. But here are the things I hope we can all just take away this morning from John 14. First, the week that our text takes place in is a really important week. It's the week that points people to a time that God's righteous wrath was to fall on a rebellious people. But it's also the time that he offered a substitutionary sacrifice to take the place of any who would trust him so that that wrath could pass over and instead they'd experience grace and mercy. And second, Jesus has revealed that the Passover was a sign pointing to him and that he would do and has done for us but if you would trust him, he would be our Passover lamb so that the just wrath for our shortcomings and our mistakes and our rebellion against God would be passed over and instead we would receive his mercy and grace. A and third, I just want us to recognize how often we're distracted by our own selfishness, our own self-concern, that, that we're blind to a God who's trying to make so clear to us the things that we often suffer, the things that we often are worried about can be gone because of him. That we can cast all of our anxieties on Jesus and he'll kill them on the cross. And, and I want us to recognize how selfish and distracted we can be so that knowing that we can look up long enough to see what Jesus is trying to tell us, that we don't have to be troubled that he's taking those burdens for us, and it's really good news.
forth. Jesus has made that way for us to live without those troubled hearts because he's made a way for us to live with him forever. And so our biggest fear in death, it's vanquished through him. And if not even death can separate us from the love of God, what else could? And if God is with us eternally, that means he's with us in those day-to-day. And if he's for us in the day-to-day, no matter how difficult a day it is, there should be nothing for us to worry about. And finally, if not even our greatest worries are things we need to worry about, we should be free to live lives focused on continuing the work that Christ has started in us that we're his witness and his testimony and his ambassador of his way and his truth and his life, that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life, that we will be with him forever because he's promised to be with us forever and Jesus makes good on his promises. And just as he left, he'll also return and on that day, there'll be resurrection and we'll be conquerors of death, and we'll live with him in that land of promise which is prepared for us because he became the way for us. So let us learn from the disciples how not to be distracted so that we can hear from Christ and put all our troubles on him. Jesus gives us really good news if we're willing to listen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for that night and the day after and all the days before and all the days that will come. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the way for us, for taking care of us in ways that we refuse to take care of others or even ourselves. Lord, that you made yourself a man for us. Lord, that you got on your hands and knees for us that you got on the cross for us, that you died for us. Lord, we are so unworthy. I'm so selfish. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room and listening at home that we would lift our eyes up long enough out of our own worlds to see that it's yours and that we live the lives you called us to because you've paved a way and paid for it to be so. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.